you guys. I appreciate this. Is, it's, it's, it's a little different. It's, ni- it's nice, guys. Uh, so like Pastor Darren said, uh, my name is Clayton Holder. If you guys don't know me, I am the student pastor here at One Chapel Liberty Hill. And I have the honor to get to bring you guys this next message in our Surrender Solution series, which is going to be all over identity. And uh, our ushers, our volunteer ushers for the day, our fill-ins, we're uh, passing out these little, uh, this little pamphlet here, just a little... Um, source of material you can kind of reference as, as we're going through the message and to take home with you as well, okay? So if you don't have that, flag down an usher and we'll get you one, okay? All right. So before I begin, I just want to pray as we go into, if you guys would just join me in that. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just, we thank you for today. We thank you just for what you're doing already in our lives, God, for the great plans and the paths you've set before us, Father God. And I just pray that your presence would just be in this place this morning, Father, and that the words that I speak are not my own, but the words that you want to share today, Father. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, so identity, that's the fun one, right? See, a lot of people um, have an inadequate or an accurate view of who they are, believe it or not. Um, Some of us, we like to use our passions, our jobs, uh, as like a little reference point of, yeah, that's me, that's my identity, right? Oftentimes when we meet someone for the first time, we have a conversation like, hey, how's it going? How are you? uh, So tell me about about yourself. I guarantee you a lot of us don't lead with, oh, I'm a child of God. (laughs) It's more of, oh yeah, so uh, I work down uh, I'm a plumber, I work over here, I'm an electrician, I work at the, I'm a nurse, I work this, like, yeah, this is this. We use these, I'll let these other things kind of identify us, uh, and we share that with other people. That's our, like, our identity, right, when we go and get to meet with them. And so, um, and, and also through that, we also have, believe it or not, a lot of people who have, um, I'd say, scripted out um, things for us. They see us do something and they say, hey, you're the, you're like, for me, you're the fantasy football guy, right? And then that becomes like this identity or, hey, you're a, I don't want to call them out, but you're the Cowboys fan, right? Not me, but, but people like who wear the Cowboys fans, like the jerseys everywhere, like, oh, we them boys, right? Like, that's like this identity that some people just kind of put on you. That's not necessarily who you actually are, Right? So <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys a little story here. Uh, so when I was younger, um, people kept telling me that, uh, me and my mom, that I kind of looked a little bit like uh, the kid, like a Jonathan Lipnicki uh, from Little, uh, yeah, Stuart Little, Little Vampire, um, Jerry Maguire, the famous ones, right? And I remember that when they would tell me this, I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's my twin. And I would be super excited to share that with everybody. Like, that's me. Yeah. And it got to the point where I was in elementary school and I would actually tell people like, yeah, I was, I was in the movie. <laughs> that was me. I worked, I worked with Stuart. <laughs> I worked with them. And so that was just this thing where people had put this identity on me because they saw me, though you look like, you look like this, uh, this famous star, Jonathan Lipnicki, yeah, that's it. And it fueled my pride, and it fueled my ego, and it got me saying, that must be me, right? That must be a truth of mine. And then there was high school. 
I started to really get into uh, to magic tricks, to track, like doing cart. I know I look I look pretty good there. Don't I? Um, no, I actually didn't have any. I actually didn't have any. Um, Pictures of me doing the card tricks, I made them disappear, right, uh, after I got out of high school. But I didn't actually have any pictures of that, so this is, this is what you get. Me and it was a sophomore in high school with my track uniform. So, yeah, there we go. But the thing is, is that I found out in high school that, wait, I can do these card tricks. I can do little magic tricks, and people will gather. They'll come, and I'll, I'll bring attention in, right? They gather. They want to see me do these tricks. I was doing card tricks to get out of taking finals. I remember my computer uh, teacher, I was able to do that. And he was like, okay, cool, yeah, you got an A. I was like, all right, sweet. And so that just kind of stuck with me and to where people actually would come to me and say, hey, dude, you're the card trick guy, right? You're the card trick guy. Can I see more of your tricks? Let me see, let me see. Sorry, guys, I keep messing with this. Like, let me see, let me see. And so once again, all that attention that I was getting, it started to fuel that ego, fuel that pride. I was like, I must be the magic man. Awesome. Like, that's a part of my identity. That's who I am. And then, after high school, came fantasy football. Look at that trophy. That's a pretty good trophy right there. And so, fantasy, I just graduated high school. I, my cousin invited me to a fantasy football league. And the very first year that I was in it, I won the whole thing. And I know, right? Yay, for me. Yeah, sure. No, no, Darren, don't do that. We're not going to fuel the, the pride and ego here, okay? Um, so I had won this fantasy football league, and I remember after that season, oh, I had this big chip on my shoulder. I was walking around going, I'm the best. <laughs> These other guys, they don't know how to play fantasy football. I, I know, all right? They're losers, right? They don't know anything. And so once that started to really fuel up just who I was. I was the fantasy football guy. Jonathan Lipnicki and the magic man. What a combo, right? But you see, all those things, like my identity, they were all based on what people had said about me or my experience, right? This, this personal gain, you know, rooted in success with fantasy football. Uh, I had the attention from doing card tricks. It was, it was popular uh, as the Jonathan Lipnicki twin um, in the golden age. And there may be even some of you in this room who had similar experiences in life. Maybe not, you know, Jonathan Lipnicki. Uh, we're going to count how many times I say Jonathan Lipnicki today <laughs> in the message here, but, but maybe not that exact experience per se, but there may have been other circumstances where people have spoken over you in, t- in, like, in, in different circumstances that you felt like have defined who you are right now or part of your personality, right? But I want to challenge us here for a second. See, if we're to become a disciple and make disciples of Jesus, right? To be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That means we have to be willing to shed our own view of, of actually of who we are and take on God's view of who we are. See, since God's story of love is so big, something I personally am very, very grateful for, uh, we must see our own small story within that greater picture, right? God's greater story. And when we do that, we realize that we're not the main characters in this story. That's Jesus. Jesus is the central character. We're just kind of revolving around that. And this understanding begins to shape 
who we are so that we begin to believe that one, we're valued, we're embraced, and that we're loved by a heavenly father. Meaning, we give up the way that we've been identified, right? Or that we've identified ourselves. Musicians, businessmen and women, accountant, weakling, fearful, dumb, stupid, loser. I probably called a lot of people losers when I was playing fantasy football. (laughs) So these like negative connotations that people speak over you, like we have to shed all those because that's not who we are. See, God says that we are his children. We are rescued, redeemed, holy, overcoming, favored, empowered, and loved. All the opposite of what I just said about stupid, dumb, loser, Jonathan Lipnicki. None of those. And so I want us to, there's a, I want us to look at this um, verse real quick. It's Matthew 3, verse 16 through 17. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, I want, us to, I want us to look at something there, and that's that what the voice of heaven actually said in that moment, right? He said, one, this is my son, all right? There's our identity, sons and daughters. And the voice identified him as his own. He said, whom I love, right? Our validation, God loves us, okay? The voice doesn't just identify Jesus as his son, but as his beloved son, all right? And then the last thing the voice says was, with him, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. That's our affirmation. God is pleased with us. And the voice uh, claims Jesus as his son, and more than that, embraces Jesus with love, but also affirms that Jesus has pleased him, obeyed him, and that God the Father is happy with him. And like I said, this is how God sees each and every one of us, even when we feel like we are none of those things. (laughs) When we are called losers, stupid, dumb, oh, you're just this, you're just that. No, we are not. Because we're only seen, believe it or not, we're only seen by God through the love and sacrifice of Jesus. Ephesians 2, um, verses 4 through 10 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did y'all catch what it said there at the end? We, you and me, are his handiwork. That's really cool. I think it's cool. I don't know about you guys. I think it's cool. And see, that's the wonder of being in Christ with this new identity, right? With a new identity. 
you are in him and he is in you. So as disciples, I want you to look at this. As disciples, we're not doing things for God. We're doing things from God, right? We get to do these things. We don't have to do anything. We get to because Jesus or God first gave his son. And see, Jesus' confidence in his identity empowered him to submit to John's baptism of repentance, even though Jesus didn't need to. He was perfect. He didn't need to do that. But his confidence and identity empowered him to do that. And it was from this moment of baptism where Jesus heard God's voice of affirmation that, that once at that, after he got baptized, that the spirit then led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And well, we're going to take a look here. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. But uh, this is where the enemy goes and Jesus has been out in the wilderness and he's starved and the enemy's going to try and tempt him. He's going to try and tempt him three different ways. So that's what we're going to look at here. So starting in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, if it is written, or it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so after fasting for 40 days and being out in the wilderness, I don't know about you, I would be very hungry. I'm hungry if I don't have breakfast before I come to church on Sunday. And then Paige has to deal with it afterwards. And I'm trying to convince her to stop on the way home to get some food. And see, when I'm at that stage, I know I'm easily tempted. So I can only imagine Jesus like, is, in, is in that very vulnerable stage right there where the enemy's trying to attack that, Right? And just like Jesus, you and I will be questioned to, or yeah, we will be tempted to actually question our identity. Some of you may already had to deal with that kind of temptation from the enemy. And see, the devil, he started off when he was um, trying to tempt Jesus, questioning his identity. He starts off with this. He says, if you are the son of God, <laughs> so he's already kind of like playing on that, right? And the enemy, he had intentionality in saying that. Because it precisely aimed at Jesus' identity, daring him to try and prove himself of, by doing something that he could have easily done. He's like, hey, if you're the son of God, yeah, turn those, breads to st or that, those stones to bread. Easy, right? Shouldn't be anything uh, hard for you, right? But Jesus chose to trust the leading of the spirit. He embraced his identity by trusting his father's word, knowing that he would receive greater provision than simply just feeding his hunger. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 in his defiance when he tells the enemy that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus, he was rooted in his father's word. He opted for obedience, trust, and reliance on God. And it's so often that we get faced with that same kind of temptation, right? For us to be the provider of ourselves, <laughs> to rely on our own strength and figure out life and do it all alone. And look, I get it. <laughs> that's the pride that we have. That's that pride. That's that ego in us, right? When things get tough, right, we want to look for shortcuts. We want to look for ways that make it easier for us, but we also are prideful and really don't want to ask for help a lot of the times. 
I grew up in a family where uh, we had a lot of financial struggles when we were kids, and my mom would not want, she, she, she wouldn't ask for help for finances. It, was, it, it bit too much of her pride and her ego to actually surrender and, and go to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling, I need help. She couldn't do it. And I get it. I mean, it's just that, that natural feeling of we have to look strong, right? We don't want to look weak. But that's the thing is surrender is, is not being weak. Being vulnerable, I think Darren talked about it last week, that's not weakness. That's strength. That's strength. And see, it's okay to do all that, right? And like I, like I mentioned before, we are his handiwork. Right? God wants to partner with us. He wants to make life easy for us. He wants to help you. He wants that relationship with you to walk with you, to give you all these things and show you all these provisions. He wants to be the provider in your life. So we have to, we have to kind of let that go. Right? We have to let him move and work in our lives. All right, so that was the first temptation. Now the second temptation was honestly a lot of the same. So starting in verse five there, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And I kind of laugh at this a little bit because the enemy, he even tried to use... Uh, the word against Jesus in this moment, right? Because he starts off and says, well, for it, uh, he, uh, throw yourself down, for it is written. Like the enemy tries to kind of take those words out of context and twist it around. And Jesus responded like, no, I, no. But the word also says, do not tempt your God. Like Jesus was ready. He was equipped. He was rooted in that identity of being a son. He knew who God was. He had trust and faith in God. And so that's why he wasn't able to, he wasn't wavering there, right? He knew what the truth was. He wasn't listening to this false truth, right? And in this Jesus, in this passage, Jesus, he was tempted to this, do this big miraculous display of just protection, right? To try and sh uh, test God's love for him. But see, what the enemy was also trying to get him to do, it was more than just this temptation of protection to put on this big display in front of everybody. Uh, it was a temptation for Jesus to try and act in a way that wasn't in line with that identity, right? He wanted Jesus to try and take control of his ministry with this big spectacle that would prove just how special he was to God. And naturally, I mean, if I saw someone jump off or fall from a cliff or a tall building and then they go, ooh, and they're like, able to land and like angels come and take him, I'd be like, that guy must be pretty important too, right? And so that's what the enemy was trying to get. He was trying to kind of put Jesus back up on this pedestal with this display where people would go flock to him. Um, but God, Jesus said, nope, I'm, I'm just the son. That's, that's the guy. That's the guy. And Jesus, he did this because he refused to act out of this false self, right? He refused to test God in this way. He chose the kingdom way, which is of hiddenness, wilderness, solitude, and prayer, assuring that his identity is secure. See, his confidence, it comes from this deep love that God has for him, right? And that he can trust that God will draw people to him, God will be the provider of those people. He doesn't have to go and try and do the work, right? God's going to take care of him. 
choosing, like, Jesus chose to let God be the provider of his life. And in that same way, we have to choose to act out of, to not act out of a sense of false self for the sake of others' approval, right? That's, 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 that's the tough one right there. For our own personal gain or for the display of our ministry. See, I was running around as little Jonathan Lipnicki trying to pretend like I was him to get this approval from people to create new friends, right? Same thing with me doing card tricks. I was only doing it for personal gain, right? I, there was no, not too much value. I was creating a little bit of a relationship, but it was, it, mostly it was just surface level. People knew me. It was like this transaction like, hey, you, you got cards? I want to come, come see you do a trick. <laughs> All right, that was cool. Okay, bye. Like there wasn't, that was it, but that's what I was after, right? And so like Jesus, we have to choose to be who he says that we are. And then, this is really cool, then we have to rest in the love that he has for us. Because believe it or not, he has a lot of love for us. And oftentimes we're too busy running and gunning and going through life that we don't take the time to actually rest and be in that love, okay? And so now the third temptation that the enemy uses is the last temptation here. It starts in verse eight. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now see, I believe that Jesus, he already knew that he was kind of predestined uh, to be the Lord of the nations, right? And the devil was simply trying to offer him a shortcut of sorts. He tried to offer him a way out where he didn't have to go to the cross to become the Lord of all the nations, right? Trying to offer him a way where there wouldn't be any, um, any hurt, right? Jesus was tempted to avoid the way of the cross and to go for a route of convenience. He was tempted to bypass the role of servant and take on the role of sovereign before it was actually his time. This was a a temptation to disobey and betray his identity and his purpose. And that same temptation applies to all of us today, believe it or not. And I hate to tell you this, guys, don't come after me or Pastor Darren, but uh, there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There are immediate miracles, sudden healings, instantaneous forgiveness, but no shortcuts for spiritual formation, character development, or walking out of our identity. There's going to be temptations to take the easy way out of things. But as God calls us into this discipleship, right, into, into a deeper form of surrender, kind of what we're talking about, right, the surrender solution as we're diving deeper into what discipleship is, how to disciple and be relational, God calls us to that, because, and, he, and we have to be prepared for what that might look like. And I think the best way to prepare for total surrender and discipleship is actually asking yourself this simple question. Where are you rooted? Where are you rooted? So there's a parable. It's found in uh, Matthew 13, uh, 1 through 9. uh, And that's where I actually want to take a look at here for a second. So starting in verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. 
such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times that was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And I think Jesus is kind of a funny guy. I like what he says, how he ends that right there. Um, Whoever has ears, let them hear. I, you guys, I don't know if you guys were thinking that's where I was going <laughs> to pull out of that. But whoever has ears, let them hear, right? It's almost like Jesus is telling us that there are these multiple temptations for quicker ways to go about life, all these shortcuts. But only one will actually sustain. And he even points us in the direction of where to go. He, he says it right there. We got to be in search of that good soil. That's where we need to go be rooted in is that good soil, right? And that's kind of the hard part because the path to the good soil might be, let's say I'm here, might be way over here, right? Got to go up these mountains, got to go down this ravine, got to go this little travel and get to the good soil. But, you know, the soil in the rocky places, one step this way. Do I want to put in the effort? Do I want to put in the work to search for that good soil? Or do I, I mean, that's convenience right there. I just got to go right here and go right there, put a little, my seed in the soil there. That's easy, right? It's quicker, Right? but it's not going to last. You may, you may get some quick results, but then those roots haven't spread. Those roots haven't spread. Things are going to start to crumble. That's why we got to be searching for that good soil. And see, when we get to that soil, like, it's, it's worth it because it offers abundance of provisions from the Lord. And when we actually get to do that, when we get to we get to the place of the good soil, we get to plant our seeds, we get to have our roots spread. That's where the beauty of it is because as those roots spread, they get stronger, right? There's a stronger establishment of relationship with God. There's a stronger establishment of our identity of who we are as those roots continue to spread. There's a stronger foundation of just our entire identity. <laughs> but what does that actually look like? Well, Jesus shows us the way uh, to actually the good soil. And he responded to the devil's temptation um, and that third temptation with another defiant quote from scripture. In Deuteronomy six thirteen. he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, worship is one of the most important ways that our identity is reinforced, that our roots get to spread. <laughs> see, it's a declaration of who God is and a confession of who we actually are. It's the exaltation of God and the humbling of oneself. I talked a lot about pride earlier. We, we got to get to this place of humble and surrender, guys. Worship is one of our most identifying, shaping activities we can engage in as a Christian. The most identity shaping, uh, one of the most identity shaping activities. And see, in, in that passage, Jesus is he's, he's essentially saying to the, to the enemy, to the tempter, that my identity, my purpose, my perspective for life is found in the worship of, the, of my Lord, my God. I choose to serve him and obey him. 
See, Jesus, he had the strength, the wisdom, and the confidence to face the most difficult time, difficult moment of temptation. And that was all because his identity was secure. Those roots were spread. And knowing who we are, that gives us strength to stand against temptation and the devil's schemes, which is why it's so important for us to be rooted. We get rooted through worship, guys. We get rooted through reading the word, praying, spending time in community with one another. And believe it or not, there's one central thing that that all ties into. And that thing is actually spending time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, all those other things kind of follow through. And the truth is, guys, our identity is, it's going to be constantly questioned. <laughs> we just, we live in that society right now where everything that we do is kind of questioned. And so that's why it's important for us to be rooted and established in who our identity is. We are sons and daughters. Uh, Adrian, you can start coming up here. What I really like is uh, this, this thing here. It says, so what we turn to when we're squeezed, when things are tough, financial issues are coming, can't find a job, um, when you know, things just aren't looking right, um, things aren't going our way, our plans aren't going the way we want them. When those things are happening, it says what we turn to in those tough times when we're squeezed, that is our higher power. Are we rooted? <laughs> are we rooted back to where in those situations our higher power, we get to turn to Jesus, we get to turn to God, or are we rooted to where things, things are tough? I have to take the responsibility now all by myself to go and make those things happen. That's where we have to ask ourselves. We have to get to that place. And see, I believe that God, like he, we, have to, or we have to let all those things go, right? We have to be able to humble ourselves in those moments. And so I have another question right here. It says, who do you think you are? And I think it depends, that, to answer that, it depends on how you answer the next two questions. Sorry, there's like lots of questions. Like they eventually, they all kind of flow together. Um, which is, what is really true about God? And what is really true about you? See, next to the knowledge of God, the most important knowledge is about who you are. And I'll tell you this, you're not defined by someone saying something about you. You're not defined by your job, what you do, your likes, your passions. Darren likes to go mountain biking. That's not his identity. I, like, I still like fantasy football. That's not, that's not my identity. Right? Even, and on the flip side, your wealth that you make, success, money, um, attention that you're getting, none of those are your identity. And I want to ask this other question. I told you there's lots of questions, guys. Without your job, what are you? Without your wealth, what are you? Without these possessions that you have, what are you? Right? Where's your happiness? Where's your joy? What are you? What are you without a roof over your head? Where are you without money to go get lunch? I don't know. You guys get the picture. And to answer that, it's actually pretty easy as long as you know what your true identity is. So I'm almost done here. A few weeks ago, we were, we were reading through Mark 10, 
uh, specifically uh, the parable of the young rich man in the kingdom of God. And Darren, I believe, was up here sharing about it. And I was reminded when I was reading this passage that the beauty of scripture and the beauty of the way the Holy Spirit works is that you can read a verse over and over and over again and that you may get something different each time you go through it. So I believe we, we were, as, as we were reading it and there, Darren was, amazing job, by the way, uh, of preaching and, and sharing, my mind was kind of going a little different place. I felt, the, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me in a different direction than what kind of we were teaching that day. Um, and so I just wanted to share this real quick. Uh, it's in Mark t- uh, 10, verse 21 through 31. Uh, right before this all had happened, this rich man had just asked Jesus, how does he inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, you know, follow the commandments, which the man proudly, um, put that in there, proudly replied that he was keeping the commandments, so yay for him. And it's this next section that I actually want us to look at here. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that first thing I noticed out of that was how Jesus responded to this man answering proudly that he's checking the boxes, right? He's following the commandments. He's right there. Jesus' first response, he knew how this guy would respond, his, uh, how, how this man was, his heart. But Jesus' first instant was to look at him, smile, and he loved him. He loved him, even through all the pride that he had. Because, <laughs> you know, that's another, that's a son. <laughs> and so, before anything else, yeah, he had loved him. And as a, rich, as a rich person, you know, this guy, he had a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions. And so uh, his identity ended up being rooted in those things, right? That's where his value was. And so when Jesus had said, hey, let's go, what, I want, how about you sell all those things and come follow me? He was sad because he couldn't do it. When he was squeezed with that, because that, that same question applies to, this, to the young rich man. What are you without these things? Without his wealth, without his possessions, he was insecure. Those were his identity. He was rooted on the rocky soil. He wasn't rooted in the good soil. See, our identity is the blueprint of a creative, all-powerful, imaginative God who desires to put his nature in us. So what that man had gone through, uh, didn't want to give it up. Um, his identity was still in Jesus, but what he thought his identity was, was in all those possessions and his wealth. And so since God, who desires to put his nature in us, it's like, how does he do that? How does he put that desire in us, that nature, that blueprint? Well, it's through Jesus. Because what's true about Jesus is now true about you and me. What you do doesn't determine who you are, it's who you are that determines what you do. It's who you are that determines what you do. 